Traditionally, as I said, this is the smallest attendance of the year um, because so many of us take opportunity to be out of town. And that being the case, I knew that it would be indeed the most faithful Christians who would be here this morning, the ones who will be with me in heaven at the end of time. And the others are kind of taking their chances, I think. (laughs) That said, I also knew that the faithful ones would be the real eager beavers among us as opposed to those lackadaisical lambs. So I've decided this morning to conquer one of the great theological questions in talking about the church as a place of help and healing. And because the problem of suffering is so big and can't be avoided in talking to the church about this, I decided that the sermon today is going to be three hours and 46 minutes long. But I know that you're up for this because you're eager beavers. I know that despite the fact that the kids are with us this morning, as they will be for the rest of August, that this will not dampen your spirits. Any young mothers among us, I'm confident, are right now thinking to themselves, preach on, brother, as opposed to, if you keep me here with these kids for three hours and 46 minutes, I'm going to take you to lunch at your house afterwards, and I'm going to barbecue you. So to preserve my own life, lunch will be served to you in your seats today, and three times in the next four hours, you're going to be offered washroom breaks. And if you stick it out, if you stick it out, under one of your seats is taped an envelope that contains free tickets for you and a loved one to attend the next three of my sermons for free. So I know you're going to want to stick around until the very end. Now, the fact is that some of that is not true. Um, I actually don't think that it's necessarily the most faithful Christians that are just here this morning. That was a joke. That was a joke. Come on now, supposed to keep laughing. But this will indeed just be a normal sermon, and I am going to talk about something which I think is immensely important. And that's because people do wonder about the question of suffering. Why is it that the good people so often hurt? And then I want to talk about the church as a place of helping and easing pain for people who do hurt. You know, we've already heard today about Carol Thompson has cancer. And we've already heard this morning about Dana Rippenhagen, and she's in surgery right now. And of course, those aren't the only two. You know, I think of Andrea Milner, who's sitting over here, and Andrea deals every day with the effects of multiple sclerosis. And so if the weather is too hot, or if she's had to work too hard, or even play too hard, she has to go rest. And so she doesn't just take the normal weekend all the time, like everybody else, as a time to go play. Sometimes she just needs to crash, and that's just the way life is. Today, Carly Hansen, whom we all know and love. She sits over here every Sunday morning. I don't know if you noticed that Carly hasn't been here for weeks. And the reason why is because she's experiencing the effects of her chemotherapy. She's lost all of her hair. She's going through something that all the rest of us dread. And the list could go on and on 
of people in our midst who are experiencing just those kinds of circumstances. And then, knowing all that we know about all of that, I want you to read this passage with me. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And I want to ask the question of whether or not this is true. Whether or not we believe this. Heather's mother passed away in the last week and a half. What does that say about God's attention to her life and the life of those who loved her? And I want to ask, are the righteous always delivered from trouble? Are those crushed in spirit always saved? Does the Lord always deliver us? Does does deliverance mean that we all have nothing bad that happens to us? And if God is going to deliver the brokenhearted, why not just keep their hearts from breaking to begin with? These seem to me like legitimate questions. Look at this one. This is as Jesus sends out the 72 to do ministry in the world. And he says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And within the next 300 years, there were thousands of Christians that were persecuted and lost their lives because they gave themselves to Jesus. And we know what happened in the Roman Colosseum. And we hear about what happened to Peter. Maybe it was just legend. Who knows? But legend says that Peter was crucified upside down. When they went to crucify him, Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was. And so they turned the cross upside down and they crucified him. That doesn't sound to me like nothing will harm you. And so there seem to be some questions that legitimately get raised about the question of the experiences of Christians. I remember watching, uh, this, this is years ago now, the movie The Mission. And there were some Catholic missionaries that went, I think, to Brazil or uh, someplace in South America anyway. And they went there among a primitive people and they were teaching them about Jesus and doing missions there. And in one of the final scenes of the movie... One of these Catholic priests is strapped to a cross by the natives and shoved down the river through rapids that were mighty enough to take anyone's life should they go over them. And that was the lot of those who had given themselves to go to South America to take people the gospel. These are serious questions. And I don't know that we can very easily avoid them. So I'm going to get right into that question before we talk about the ways in which our church actually helps and heals. 30 years ago, there was a rabbi named Harold Kushner. You might have seen his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Very famous book 30 years ago. His answer was that the reason God doesn't always help those who are good, help the children of his who suffer, is because he can't. 
because he's incapable. Because God just is not powerful enough to deal with all of the evil in the world. It's kind of beyond him. And so here's a Jewish rabbi saying, God can't take care of this. That's why bad things happen to good people. And I want to say this morning that that's not the God that I know. The God I know has raised his son from the dead. The God I know set the stars in the heavens. The God of the Jews freed the captives from Egypt. And I I think he's quite capable, actually, of healing someone's cancer and preventing children from dying. And so the question is, why does he not? Why does an all-powerful, loving, good God not stop pain and suffering? That's a great question. And the fact is, people ask it all the time. And it doesn't just come from the people in the world, it comes from you too. Now it may seem a strange answer, but let me kind of preliminarily say this. I'm convinced that the reason that there is still suffering in the world when we have a great God who could stop it, is ultimately, see, he doesn't prevent it all. Ultimately, it's because... He loves us. I think the reason that God doesn't stop all of the pain in our world is because he loves us. He could have created a completely different kind of world. One with no pain and no suffering and no disappointment. He could have created a world in which there isn't even any sin. And everything would just be perfect for us. A world in which there would have been no fall, no Adam and Eve story, no corruptedness. And I think that the world in the long run would have been worse. In fact, I would say that the world in the long run would have been worse for you and me. And there's at least three reasons that this seems to me to be the case. You can tell me whether or not you think this works for you. First, I would say that in a world with no suffering, there would be no real freedom for human beings because God would be in control of everything. The fact is, he would have control over all of life. You and I would always do right. We would be robots living in a perfect existence. Maybe you have seen, uh, this. there was a remake of this a few years ago, but years ago there was the movie The Stepford Wives. And then it was redone about two decades later. And I even think there was a TV show after it for a while. And the people were manufacturing robots. In fact, what was happening was that men were saying to themselves, if we get this perfect robot, then I can knock off my wife. I'll replace her with a robot that looks just like her. And life is going to be perfect. Because she's going to do everything I tell her to do. And of course, it was a complete disaster. And the Stepford wives end up not being such pleasant wives after all. I remember another movie years ago called Westworld, where you go to this resort, and there are robots everywhere, and you go into this Western scene and participate in a Western kind of retreat, and all the robots, they're there providing you challenges. Maybe somebody steps out of a saloon and he challenges you to a gunfight and you can win the gunfight. And it's all orchestrated because it's all robotic. But then the robots, they come alive. 
And they turn on those who are there for their retreats. And chaos ensues. And the fact is, that's exactly what would happen if we were living in a world in which everything was programmed. There'd be no risks. There'd be no chance of overcoming anything. No chance to overcome a challenge. There'd be no victories. No sense of accomplishing anything because there'd be no disappointments. There'd be no sense of growth through suffering. We would never overcome because there's nothing to overcome. There would be no Rocky. There would be no Rocky 2. There'd be no Rocky 3. There'd be no Rocky 26. Tolkien would never have to write The Lord of the Rings if there was no Mordor. There would have been no Wizard of Oz if there were no tornadoes in Kansas or wicked witches that were free to wreak havoc on us. And so I would say that God has actually done us a favor in allowing us the freedom not only to make mistakes, but the freedom to experience some things in life that are not always the very best. And through those difficult times, we end up better. Is it not the case? I could go to every one of you and say, through the trials that you've experienced in life, and you could, you could list what they are for you, would you not say, at the end of those, you ended up stronger? Something happened to you positively because of the negative things that you experienced. God ended up blessing you through the hard times and freedom to make mistakes and to suffer and experience those things in life just does that for us. I actually think it's a better world than if we live the lives of the Stepford wives. Second thing is, joy and happiness must be lessened. Maybe the greatest detriment is that without the freedom to suffer, we simply would have nothing against which to measure the great times when there is no suffering. Is it not the case that joy and happiness come in direct relation to the absence of that which hurts us? And so when the pain is relieved, the joy is heightened. It feels so much better when that's gone. There is no warmth without cold. There is no soft without hard there is no being full without hunger there's not even the best kind of laughter without crying there's no real joy without being able to contrast it with pain and so while there's something horrible about our hurting the riches of a life in which real joy overcomes times of hurting i think outweighs what would be felt if there was no hurting at all and so our joy and happiness are actually enhanced by our pain. And they would be lessened if we didn't ever experience anything negative. The fact is, I think that God was very aware of that. And so he creates the kind of world that he does. The third thing is this. I would say that without the freedom to hurt, there would be, in fact, no real love. Just like with the presence of pain being connected directly to its relief or absence, so that real joy can be experienced only in contrast to great hurt, human beings have to have the freedom to not love others in order for love itself to be real when love does happen. And just because it's a little warm in here and it's, the sermon's getting longer... Let me read this again, and I want you to hear it. Human beings 
have to have the freedom not to love others in order for love itself to be real when love does happen. I think that's the case. If I don't have the freedom to not love you, in other words, if it's programmed within me, if somehow it's forced upon me that I love you, then that love is just not going to mean as much. How many of you wives think to yourselves, well, what I really want is for my husband to have to love me. I want something forced to come out of him so that he loves me because somebody made him do it. None of you. Like all of you wives are thinking, no, it would be way better for him to not love me at all than for him to be forced into loving me. So that when he loves me, it's his free choice to do so. I think you'd all say that. And the fact is, I would say that too. If I thought Robin loved me because she had to love me, somebody forced her into it, somebody paid her to do so, I would get that. I'd understand. But it wouldn't be a very nice feeling. Because that's not what real love is. Real love happens when there's actually a chance for rejection. Love freely chosen is always better than love that is forced or controlled or to which there is no alternative. God could have made it so that our children would always do what we say. And some of you are thinking, yeah, well, what's the problem with that? But the fact is, I want my children to freely choose to do what I ask them to do. That's the best situation. Now, when they're two, that may not happen. When they're four, it may not happen. When they're 16, it will not happen. (laughs) But we hope that as our children get older, and maybe when they're 20, or they're 21, or they're 25, at some point something is going to hit them. And they say to themselves, I'm not behaving this way just because dad's going to take away my allowance, or he won't pay for my next semester in university. But because they say, I love my parents, and the Lord says I'm to honor my father and my mother, and I will. And so we want free relationships and free love in that way. And love at that point when freely chosen becomes what I would call real love. And by the way, one of the reasons that there is sin is because we have freedom to commit it. And it's so that when we do choose not to sin, the relationship that we have with God is exactly as it should be. It shows Him just how much we love Him when we freely choose not to sin. There are some theologies that would say, no, everything about human beings is kind of programmed in advance. God is in control of everything. God is in control of everything that happens in our world. There isn't a sparrow that falls from the tree. There isn't a hair that falls off the top of your head, Kelly, that the Lord doesn't know. Well, I get that. 
only in a context of freedom, when we can freely choose not to sin, does my righteousness really mean something before the Lord. And only then does my love for him really come alive. So I would say that ultimately the reason there's pain and suffering in the world is so that we could have the best possible relationships with each other and ultimately with God. And it seems so ironic, a paradox, contradictory, to say that this is the case. But I really believe that it's only because we have pain and suffering that we can have the wonderful relationship with God that we do. And so look at things from God's side for a moment. If all of life is climate controlled, if nothing bad ever happens, if there's no freedom for sin and all of sin's consequences, then our love for God must be less complete than it is when suffering and sin cause the death of his son. In fact, I would say that real love, the best love possible, happens in the freedom of God's decision to allow his son to die for our ungodliness. And that simply would not have happened if there wasn't a world in which we could freely choose to do sin and freely cause pain and freely not choose God. And then we would have had no chance to freely choose to love God in return for what he's done in Christ. And so real love requires allowing for the freedom of pain and suffering, and it even allows for not love, so that when we do love, it can be its very best. God created a world, the best world for us, in which free things happen that sometimes hurt like crazy. And I would say that his love demands exactly that. That's just the world we live in. And so people would say, why Dana? Like, is there anybody sweeter than Dana Rippenhagen? Why her? Why does she have to put up with this? And I would say, ultimately, because God loves her. And God created a world, a free world, the best world, for us to all flourish the best in which things like this do happen. And when those happen... She, in her freedom to love God anyway, is going to have the richest kind of relationship with God that she could possibly have. Now, fortunately, what I've described this morning is not the the whole big picture. All that I've been saying, I think, does point to God loving us the way that he does, and our church is greatly blessed. And so this comes out in our church family all the time. There are constantly people in our church who experience the love of God and the experience of love in our body. We love and feed and clothe needy children in Africa. We take care of families right here in Calgary. Sometimes those who are homeless, sometimes those who simply don't have enough money. And for every one of these people we feed, they're not just taking advantage of us. Instead, they're receiving from us something from the Lord, and they're being blessed. And it's very often that we receive expressions from them of genuine gratefulness. And I'm so glad that we have opportunity to take care of each other. And so if you've been one of the recipients of this, praise the Lord. Or 
If you're one of those people who has a chance to just give, I'm so grateful that you have a chance to give. Do you remember this passage? We saw this at the beginning. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Men are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them uh, out of delivers out of him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This does not mean that we won't suffer, but it does mean that God keeps his promises in just this way. He does, in fact, hear. God does deliver them from their troubles. Maybe he never heals their pain, but he takes care of their hearts. In fact, it says that he's near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. The afflictions he takes care of, and a lot of times he does so directly through the church. And he delivers us and keeps our bones from breaking because of people around us who love and care for us. Now, if you think to yourself, is that true, Kelly? Does that really happen? Is that, do I, does our church really do a good job of this? I would say, absolutely. And could, could we do it better? Absolutely. But we do minister to each other, and I'm so grateful that we do. There are a couple of examples this morning that I want to give you of ways in which we have received healing and helping and blessing. And so I've asked two people this morning if they would share for us some situations that they have had, some things they've faced in life, and the response both from the Lord and from the church to their own circumstances. And the first one is Melissa. I'd love for you to come up, Melissa, and share with us what's on your heart today. the same effort with the same time alongside you and the receipt, the physical receipt is the same but they don't bring the spirit of the Lord and so the greatest blessing for me and I believe our family through these events was the presence of God you encourage me through the events of my life, and those are two, but my whole life in this church has been up and down in different experiences. And you individually encourage me because we have the same Father. I know that in your darkest times, you approach the same Father. I know that we believe in the same Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, so often, people who I socialize with, don't. And that's a great gift and a great blessing to me that the church brings. And we are led by the same Spirit. That fundamentally, we approach the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with the same mindset you believe and we share in the same destiny. I remember the night before Piper died, and you will remember that we tended her in a hospice situation for three months as she died. Knowing what the end was, there was no turning from that course. Piper was dying. 
And I remember holding her the night before she died. And I thought, wow, you are about to step into the existence that I have believed in for 40 years. You're about to take that eternal step. And so even in dying, Piper blessed my faith and me in that moment, bringing God to my attention. I would that if I ever need your blessing, that your prayer would be for my soul, not for change of my life. That you would pray for the protection of my soul in eternity. As I pray and we pray for our children and our grandchildren and for all who are of faith. Not that the burden may pass. The burdens are there. But they, that we may be united with God in heaven. And that is the blessing that the church brings to me and for which I'm eternally grateful. And I thank you. You know, I, I appreciate so much uh, Melissa and Kevin being willing to share this morning. It's, you know, it's a blessing uh, to be encouraged knowing that they have remained faithful, that they have trusted in God, that the things that have faced them in life have not done them in, but instead they end up stronger on the other side. The question is, what do we do with this? And, and I would say that we need to respond somehow. You know, it's, it's nice to hear the stories and it's nice to know that God does this, but what does this mean for you and me? And I would say that we need to respond by, first of all, ministering to those who hurt. The fact is that we have opportunities all the time to minister to each other. The very least you can do, that we can do, is to pray. I've described for you how our elders pray every other Tuesday night. They pray for a long time about you and about the things that are on your heart. And I would love to see this movement happen among us where we all were taking so seriously the ministry of prayer and praying for each other. But then beyond that, you know, we always say, but is there more I can do? And we, of course, sell prayer short when we say that. But of course there's more that you can do. As Melissa was talking about all the things that people did for her, that does not happen unless someone says, I'm going to step up and I'm going to help. And you don't need to wait for an official announcement. You're not helpless. You're not clueless. You're not Holy Spiritless. Pitch in and serve and make meals and offer rides and clean someone's house and lift someone's burden. There's just no reason why we can't do that for each other. Jesus calls us to minister to one another in significant ways. And we've already seen this morning the great blessing that comes when that happens. And so, yes, we live in a world with incredible suffering, but we live in a world in which suffering can be overcome. It can be ameliorated, which just means it's going to be softened. It's going to be made better. The pains can be eased as the salve comes from the lives of those of us who love Jesus, responding to those who are in need and who hurt. And we need to do that. Let's pray. 
Lord, I pray that you would move us in our hearts to respond to situations where we can be of help. God, it's so easy when we're so busy and there's so many opportunities to be distracted and do other things. It's so easy to just say, no, I'll let somebody else take care of that. But Lord, I'm grateful that that people didn't say to Melissa, oh, somebody else will take care of that. I'm glad, God, that when uh, the Clarks were hurting so badly, that people didn't just say, well, someone else will be there for them. I'm grateful, God, that, that you put in our hearts the desire to serve and honor you, and I pray that it would be there even more. Help us, Lord, to to give ourselves to you in a way that allows us to really serve and bless those who have great needs. I pray that your spirit would move us to do so. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. Now, before we stand and sing, I'd mentioned here at the beginning that there was going to be an envelope underneath someone's seat. Um, And so what I've done... We're going to have the drawing, and we're going to decide under whose seat this might be. Oh, oh, here it is. It's uh, in row four, seat two in the center section. Uh, Robin, that would be you. <laughs> look, look under your seat, dear. <sighs> is there something there? <laughs> Free tickets to three of my next sermons. Huh? What a lucky girl she is.